to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at this flight. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It's a science place. It's a scientific fact. They wear all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. And tonight's special episode. Mr. Dan Kabinsky. Uh, super excited to talk to this guy. Of course, uh, Deadfinger is the is the newest thing. Excited to get into that with him. He's done all kinds of things, but most folks would know him for the legendary DeKreutzen. So very excited to talk to that gentleman about all things new and old, under the sun and otherwise. And uh, yeah, it should be a good talk. So uh, let's, without further ado, do this here thing. This here thing. We'll do this here thing. Welcome to Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. I am your host, Conan Neutron. I'm a rock and roll lifer who has toured and recorded for over 22 years, most known for the band Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. Music is a huge part of my life, and I use the format of this long-running podcast to talk about music with musicians whose work I enjoy and respect. Folks that may or may not be household names, but do something very special. This is episode 303. Some folks call it a palindrome. If this is your first time listening to the show, all of the archives are at protonicreversal.com and are always free. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you'd like to support the show and get episodes sooner, you can give $1 a month to patreon.com slash protonicreversal. And if you like the show or even just a single episode, please feel free to share it along, like, subscribe, or post a review. All that helps people find the show, and it's just a darn nice thing to do. So there we go. That is that is the read. That is the ad read. Uh, so without further ado, let's uh, talk to the man. Dan, welcome to the show, sir. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was psyched to see this Dead Finger record drop. I guess do people still say if something drops? I guess it, it drops, right? Sure, it drops. Uh, it was a pleasant surprise. Like uh, I, I didn't realize that it was a thing. And I think that uh, it's pretty interesting. So why don't we just start off with the newest and you can tell me a little bit how that came to pass. Sure. What would you like to know? So it's a, it's ostensibly a duo, right? It is. Yes, sir. Yep. Did you have that in mind or did it kind of just kind of come together more of the music first and then the rest of the stuff later? Well, if, if you want to get into the story, um, my friend, my friend Dwayne and I, long, long time friend Dwayne Flowers, uh, we used to play in a band called Fuckface together. Fuckface, yes, of course. Yep. And he recently moved back to Milwaukee uh, just before the pandemic started. And I bumped into him during the lockdowns out in front of a grocery store. 
and we decided to get together and jam because we were both bored shitless sitting at home doing nothing couldn't go to work couldn't do anything right so we we devised a way to uh split our rehearsal spot in half with a sheet of plastic and secured it to the walls and put a construction zipper in the middle so i could get in and out uh it was a pretty cool setup and we were actually working on something else i had tuned my guitar down to a drop c and we were working on some pretty heavy right (laughs) goth kind of thing uh and we actually got pretty far we wrote about nine or ten songs and we were just contemplating should we get a bass player or a keyboard player should we add a singer should i sing we weren't quite sure where we were going to go when i got a phone call Mm -hmm. from an old friend asking if uh i could put together a pop-up band to come and play a <laughs> oh, wow. okay. party. Yeah. And uh, I thought about it for a minute. And uh, over the years, I've been playing my acoustic guitar and just kind of, you know, for fun, learning songs. I, I've got 30 or 40 in my repertoire. And uh, Dwayne happened to be sitting there when I took the phone call. And I said, dude, how would you like to jam and play a uh, party with me as a pop-up band just be you and me you can accompany me on drums and and he agreed he thought it sounded like fun yeah so we we had two or three weeks to learn a few songs and uh yeah pretty much almost all of those turned up on the dead finger record um so that's kind of how we formed and and as we were learning these mm, 12 or so cover songs it just kind of came natural one night. We were in between songs, just sitting there, and I was playing some random chords, and Dwayne started following me on drums, and I hit record on my little MP3 recorder, and suddenly we had a song, uh, which is Ghosts. And when we listened to the playback, we were like, holy shit, man, that's, it's all there. There's a song. There's a breakdown. There's an intro. There's an outro. Yeah. And I was even kind of scatting over the notes and the drums, the guitar notes and the drums. And I ended up using about 99% of the vocals that I just kind of threw out off the top of my head for the song. That's how that came about. And, and uh, so we played the party and uh, people at the party took a video and the video went on Facebook and garnered a bunch of attention and that's when i started to think that hey maybe this might could be something that'd be worth pursuing yeah (laughs) yeah yeah the next step was to record and see what things sounded like so we did that with shane hockstetler over at uh, house recording i knew he would do a great job and uh it was wonderful working with him and uh yeah so here we are. We, we've got a record mastered by Mystery Room Mastering and uh, pressed up by Super Duper out of Madison. Kind of an all-inclusive state in-house deal. Yeah, it's, 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 it's like Wisconsin Pride type affairs. What it yes. Yeah. That's, well, that's kind of the long and short of how we came about. It was kind of for fun, but now we're kind of, and it still is for fun. Mm-hmm but we're taking it a little more seriously and we've got about seven songs written for the next record already. I want to have about 12 or 13 and then we'll go in and probably with Shane again and record. And the second effort we'll have 
mostly originals, if not all. Nice. Yeah, because there's a few, there are a few covers on this. There's uh, like the Scott Walker one. Yeah. And uh, Misfits one. Uh, the Bowie one as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Some of my favorites. Yeah, no, I mean, like, look, that's a good spread. <laughs> but I mean, did you have did you have the idea of just not having rules with it necessarily, like where you can kind of just keep it more focused on the arch rather than put you know putting labels on it, establishing rule sets or anything? No, no, we we actually toyed with some other songs too. Um, uh, the party we played at was actually for. A couple of gals so we kind of sort of i don't want to sound sexist or anything but we kind of sort of geared it towards a bit of femininity and uh you know patty smith yeah um and uh and it was also for halloween so we did other things like monster mash <laughs> the classic of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we toyed with like um uh, pat benatar's um oh what the heck was it, is oh, it uh, called? um I can't remember right now. It'll come to me when, when we least expect it. But we toyed with a bunch of other songs um, and finally just settled on these few. Right. But no, no, no rules, no, you know, like, let's just have fun. Let's do this. And even when it came to recording, uh, we practiced for a month and a half or so, kind of feverishly getting ready for the studio because we wanted to go in and make it and get out of the studio and let Shane do his thing with the mixing. Yeah, and obviously that's a guy that, you know, is very, very skilled, especially at recording oh, man. Uh, idiosyncratic bands and, like, bringing forth, like, unique voices to uh, yes. create a platform. So, you know, you know, you got that sorted. Yes. Uh, so it's interesting to me that it seems very guitar-based. To a certain degree, right? Like, it's. Do you ever have an idea of, um, like, do you do you think it's going to stay kind of cozy, like as a two piece, or do you think it's, it could expand out in the future? For now, I'd like to keep it a two piece. Uh, we kind of toyed with the idea of uh, bringing in some guest players, and I don't know if that'll happen on the second record. Maybe it'll wait for the third one. I don't know. I. I I'm learning my way around the guitar still. And again, you know, it kind of comes and goes from my life. Um, whether I'm playing in a band, like I have the crosses going too, which is kind yeah. of great some tribute band and I'm the singer. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think for now, two piece and uh, simple, dark. And it's hard to, to say that uh, acoustic guitar is heavy and dark, but I think Dead Finger is going to be pretty heavy and pretty dark with the second effort. Well, no, because it exists. I mean, think about, uh, you know, I, I think it kind of enters the same realm as like, uh, like the Steve Von Till solo stuff and things along those lines where there's like a deep, there's a richness to it, but it's not going to be mistaken for Jackson Brown either. You know? no. <laughs> no. It's, it's pretty simplistic. Uh, you know, my guitar skills can be kind of suspect at, at points, but I'm trying. I'm learning. How long have you actually been playing guitar? Because because before I moved here, because I've only lived in Wisconsin uh, since 2017, I, but I toured uh, and was, uh, I, I know Keith in terms of full disclosure, uh, yeah. but uh, I, I think of you as one of the great 
front men and singers of like that era. Oh, thank you. Uh, and I wasn't even aware for a while that it was like, oh, he plays guitar too. Okay, cool. I didn't know that. So when did you pick it up? I actually started my musical career, if you can call it that, as a bass player. I took lessons in high school and uh, was trying to form a band. And every amongst my friends, there was already bass players, drummers, guitar players, but no singers. And I kind of, by default, found myself setting down my bass guitar and, and picking up the microphone. Um, but for the six string, shit, I, uh, I think I've always kind of dabbled with it because my dad was a guitar player. He was in a band when he was younger. Sure. And, he, and they were an acoustic band, a, a folk trio, and uh, the journeyman. And so there was always a guitar around and I was always kind of messing with it. And he showed me a couple chords, but it wouldn't be until, um, Christ, it wouldn't be until about 88 or so, 1988, when I started playing with my friend Chris Twining on drums. And he was, it's almost kind of a dead finger kind of thing. He was right. playing acoustic guitar and I was playing drums. And he showed me some more chords, and uh, he's got a pretty good pop sensibility. I liked what he was doing. I liked his melodies. And uh, so he showed me more chords, and that's kind of when I played a little bit more in earnest and when I started learning songs, Powderfinger, you know, and uh, some other things, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So who, what, what, what kind of guitar players were you thinking about when you – were sort of developing your style and starting to play like were you were you what what kind of stuff was was interesting you when you um, <laughs> everything and anything um i guess well you know i was in high school when that first van halen record came out and that blew yeah. you <laughs> didn't yeah. want to be eddie van halen at that point you know but then, um, then I bought the Sex Pistols record. Who didn't want to be Steve Jones with that monstrous guitar sound? You know? And then the Clash kind of came along, and it, uh, my friends kind of laughed at that first Clash record, like, dude, this sounds like shit. And I'm like, uh, no, this is really cool, and the guitars are like intertwined and doing cool things together. And um, so there's all kinds of stuff. Um, I guess my earliest recollection of wanting to be in a band and play guitar was uh my dad had uh, credence clearwater revival records oh hell yeah nice. i latched on to those and i remember uh, uh i'm trying to remember the name of the song uh 747 coming out of the sky gonna take me down and make me a midnight traveling band traveling band that's the one and that's when i knew that's what i want to do i want to be in a traveling band yeah man <laughs> so I, I guess it would be credence kind of sparked my guitar interest well and you could god you could do a lot worse i mean fogarty's you know, very well respected for songwriting and for uh good yes. reason but i mean there's some there's some strong guitar stuff in that uh i guess we'll call it strictly chuglin's sort of world you know i mean like it's it's really interesting and it serves the song well yeah loved him loved all the different layers and flavors of the records uh i didn't really understand it all at first because i was pretty young but uh, yeah 
as I grew and especially when I got into my teens and could appreciate things a little more. You know, ACDC came along and I was like, holy shit, man, you know. I, um, but I guess that happens to everybody, you know. Some people would say Hendrix blew their minds. Um, the yeah. Beatles are a big one for people that were, you know, maybe a class ahead or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's a thing. Uh, and then how, how did Jacorson actually form? I actually don't know this story. I feel like I should know this story, but I don't. So... Um, Brian Agnes and I, the guitar player from Decreutzen, had a band in our hometown of Rockford, Illinois. And uh, we were called a couple of different things at first, the Stains, and then we changed our name to the Spots. <laughs> and um, and uh, then we, we got a new bass player. This cat came along, Brian Hill. And uh, people call him Bees. And he had just left a band that was called the Stellas, and they were actually moving to Milwaukee. Interesting. And uh, without him. But he liked the name the Stellas, and I had had a girlfriend named Stella, so I liked the name, you know. Um, but that's kind of how we started. We, uh, same thing, started playing cover songs, Ramones, Sex Pistols, Undertones. And we had a few uh, originals. I'm trying to remember that first one, uh, Suffocate, which was right. not unlike All White. It was kind of in that same vein. Yeah, yeah. The first thing that we wrote together. Um, and at some point, uh, that band that moved to Milwaukee that had been called the Stellas was now called the Tense Experts. It was the Chacho Brothers. And they invited us up to play for them, open up for them at the Starship. So we did and immediately fell in love with Milwaukee and the Starship and the already built up scene that was here. Things were happening here already, you know, and, and we knew that night as we were driving home that um, we were going to, soon we were going to pack it up move to milwaukee and and do our thing up here uh which we did yeah and lo you did yeah <laughs> so uh and there's a few there's a few compilations and stuff before uh the first ep um yeah there's some cassette tapes and uh the master tape record really did a lot for us Paul Mayer from Zero Boys put that together. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then, um, then you get you got the cow, cows and beer. And then cows and beer followed not too long after that. I uh, we saw, to my recollection, we saw an ad in a fanzine for Bob's label, and it simply said, "Looking for bands for a compilation? Send your tape here. Submit now." Right. And so I submitted a couple of things that we had done, some demos, and Bob got back to us immediately. Love it. Want you on my compilation, Chard Remains, which was a cassette only, came with a, a booklet. Each band had a page in it. It's It's been re-released now on, a, I think, a double LP. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, was a, that was a little bit ago, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. A couple years ago now. Um. Yeah, and then uh, he got such great feedback from the Chard Remains cassette about Decreutzen, which also held things like Husker Du right. and Void. 
Right. And uh, there's a bunch of others that went places. Uh, Rebel Truth, a bunch of other bands. But um, he liked the Detroit some tracks and suggested that uh, he was going to expand his label to vinyl and he wanted to release a Detroit and seven inch. And uh, that's where cows and beer came from. Which is uh, like what, like six songs if I remember right. But I think, only, yes. I think only one of them talked over a minute 30. <laughs> right. I was going to say six songs in about five minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a, I have that one and the, Oh God, the one minute mini EP kind of in my same mind. Uh, of, of just like, you know, what what can constitute a song, right? Like, how how soon can you get in and get out? Uh, right, right. We don't need intros. We don't need outros. We don't need solos. All that, <laughs> all that shit. Here's the song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it works, you know. Like, and that's that absolutely works. Did you feel that nobody had any uh, experience recording at that time? At right. that point, I don't. Uh, uh, Keith and Eric had recorded something with one of their bands, I believe. And well, we had done some. No, we had done some things. Uh, our our friend Bill Stace had a studio uh, in Milwaukee. Um, Walls have ears, I think, is what it was always called, and that's where we did those early. There's a twelve song demo, sometimes referred to as the Crosses demo. Oh yeah, yeah. We recorded that there, which might be part of what I sent to Bob. Got it, uh, got it. And there was uh, there was another demo, uh, five songs or six songs, also recorded by Bill. But that was earlier than the Crosses tape, and that was in the basement of the Starship. And that that I sent out to all the fanzines I could find like forced exposure and flip side and all the little indie ones that I could get my hands on. Everybody got a tape and a bio. Yeah. And, uh, we got good responses from that and which led to other things. <laughs> Gigs. And, and yeah. Yeah. A few other things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when did you, when did you end up hooking up with Corey uh, for touch and go? That was obviously that he put out the, the eponymous, I think it's called, right? The self-titled. Um, yeah. uh, I always think, I, and I always think of REM calling that record eponymous too, which is pretty hilarious to me. <laughs> but, right, right. <laughs> but when did you uh, with Corey and Touch and Go? Uh, Barry Hensler from the Necros was had actually heard us. I think he might have heard Cows and Beer first. And, you know, being the vocal vocalist of the Necros and Corey was the bass player in the Necros, uh, he kind of twisted Corey's arm. And uh, Barry, I believe, called me and said, dude, let's do a show. We're, we're going to be in Chicago. Let's, we'd like to come up to Milwaukee and play with you guys. Right. So we did something. We did a show with DeKreutzen uh, opening up for the Necros at... Um, might have been called the Lost Dutchman's Mine at that point, which later in later years it was known as the Unicorn. Uh, and the Necros came over and and stayed at our house afterwards. And Corey and I sat up kind of late at night talking and and listening to uh, my Sisters of Mercy twelve inches and <laughs> fantastic. Uh, there was what was that other? I was into this weird. Oh. Is it called Savage Republic? I think that's yeah, what yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 
they're, they're, I, uh, we had a Savage Republic record sitting there, and he was like, "Dude, you're like the only guy I know that's in the Savage Republic, and and you like the Sisters. I love the Sisters." So we kind of hit it off, and um, in talking, we got to be friends. And I think it was when he got home, maybe a couple days after they left and got home, we got a phone call from Corey, and he said, "Let's do an album." I love yeah. your seven inch. I love all these other tracks. You guys seem like good dudes, people I can work with. And um, he was going to put out that negative approach album first, all tied up or tied down, tied down. Tied uh, down. Yeah, yeah, tied, yeah. Tied down. <laughs> I had to think about it, but yeah. <laughs> I did too. It's been a while. Uh, so he, he put that out. And then he actually, if I remember correctly, he went out to the Pacific Northwest and worked a summer in a, like a logging camp or something to earn money to put out both the tied down negative approach record and the Decreutzen record. And that's kind of how touch and go kind of went from there. So, and what a one, two punch to start it off with too. I mean, (laughs) you can do worse. (laughs) So who, who else did you feel like, at that time, that first record time, who else did you feel like you had common cause with band wise? Like, who else was like doing interesting stuff that you felt were kind of like, hey, that's cool? You know, there was so much coming out at that point. There were so many records, and that was a point, you know, we're talking like early to mid 80s where right. the only TV I had was like a little nine inch black and white television. And I, I didn't even turn that fucker on anymore, except <laughs> maybe watch reruns of Kung Fu on Saturday afternoon or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, that thing didn't go on. Um, it was all about music and going to see live music and playing records and discovering things. There was no internet or anything, so you had to physically go and see a band. Or, or you had to go to the record store and take a chance, and I'm going to buy this record. Um, but all that being said, um, bands, so that leads me to, like, there was that um, that that first Maximum Rock and Roll compilation. I think it was a double album. If, if punk rock is dead, what the fuck is this? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bands on that thing, like. That Fang track on there is killer. And um, even the Social Distortion track on there I liked. Almost every one of those bands struck a chord with me, you know. And I think Brian came home with the Minor Threat 7-inch, even though that had been out for a little while. I I had never heard it. And that was, you know, so tight and clean and powerful. And um, so that that really hit us. And... um, uh, those void tracks from Charred Remains, holy cats, Bubba Dupree, dude, mother, wow, fuck, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, the effigies came to town, and we didn't really know too much about them, yeah, but they were Chicago's hardcore band, and they came to town, and we opened for them, and they liked us so much that they said. Uh, dudes were playing in Minneapolis tomorrow. It was Friday when they played Milwaukee, and we're playing in Minneapolis tomorrow with this really cool band called Husker Du. You right. guys should just come up and play. You can open the show. So sight unseen, unheard. We loaded all our gear into Eric's 1966 Chevy Impala, <laughs> just like a fucking boat. 
Amazing. <laughs> everything was in there. I think I rode with the drum kit on my a kick drum on my lap, but we got everything in there and we just drove to Minneapolis straight to seventh street entry. And, uh, there was Husker Du, and there was Grant Hart wearing a headband, and, and he was like doing somersaults on the floor and yeah. saying crazy stuff. And, and he was like, Oh, y'all got a band? Come on in. Sure, you can jam. You know, why not? And um, we were great friends from that point forward. You know, um, that was a huge stepping off point for us. Uh, the next out of town thing, I think, was going to. Um, was going to Indianapolis. We had a friend down there. Scott Colburn was a Detroitson fan, and he had heard the master tape tracks. Or no, he had heard something else because it was because of him that we got in touch with Paul Mayern from the Zero Boys, Zero Boys. and did yeah. the master tape. Nice. So those were our first couple of outings, and we also knew from those first couple outings that this is what we need to do, get out of town go to Chicago, go to Minneapolis, Madison, Detroit, just work our way out, you know? Well, and that's key. Cause I think that like when you're talking about um, the, uh, the birth of what is modernly thought of as the DIY movement, the idea of like taking it on the road, taking it to finding your people in different places is so key to it. Absolutely. And I think that it's uh you know, I mean, granted, there's there's a few books and stuff that have been written about it, but I think it's almost been lost in the era of like, we have all this connection to everything, but do we? I mean, everything's, everything is connected, yeah. but is it? Uh, and I think that it's notable that, like, at the time, it, it, it did it. It probably didn't feel like you were making history or anything at the time. I would imagine it probably just felt like you're like, well, why don't we try to play some shows somewhere else? I like us here. Let's let's go have some fun. Let's go yeah, drink some beers, get in the van, or get in the van, go somewhere, and then drink some beers and um, and there, play some music. <laughs> we got to get that order of events exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't think we thought too much about it. I mean, you know, there was a point when we when we still had that Cat Beezer in the band, the bass player, before we got Keith. That was more, more of a let's fuck shit up, let's be let's be punk rock and fuck shit up and destroy things and and really cause a commotion at the Starship when we play. And uh, at some point we got Eric on drums, and uh, Beezer was gonna leave, and Eric suggested we get his buddy Keith on bass. Yeah, yeah. And when we when we got Keith there was, we decided to change the name from the Stellas to Decreutzen. And, yep. and there was a concerted effort then between all four of us to let's try and do something with this. We, we really like each other. We really yep. like the sound that we're making. And we love all these bands around the Tar Babies from Madison, Tar Babies, Mech from Madison, Effigies, Husker Du, all these bands we love. Let's uh, let's get in it. Let's do this. And um, I, so, yeah, there was a little bit of a, an idea, but it was more, you know, more or less like, let's have fun. Let's let's um, let's enjoy this thing. Uh, let's get out of town. Yeah. And, 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 and you did. So what, what was the first what was the first big 
tour for the Kuritsen? Like the first one that took you, like, so you're like, I am nowhere near home right now. What was the, the first one of those? <laughs> well, there's a story behind that. We, there is. <laughs> we, um, we were big fans of Black Flag and the Germs. And then this album came out by this band called the Circle Jerks, which totally blew our fucking minds. The speed that that Lucky on drums was just incredible, man. You know, and uh, that really lit a fire under us. And so there were all these bands out in California that we suddenly became more aware of, and we thought, let's go to California, let's let's book some shows and make our way out to California and. We'll get jobs in L.A. and we'll become part of the L.A. punk rock scene. Why not? So we we uh, went from Kansas City through uh, Oklahoma, Tulsa, down to Texas, where we met the Offenders and played four or five shows with them. Um, then on to Arizona, where we played with this really cool band called Final Conflict. And then um, we got into California. And we stepped out of the truck one way too bright, sunny morning on Hollywood and Vine. And we're like, oh, this place stinks. What the fuck are we doing here, man? We, we played a couple shows and we really didn't like it. Um, uh, we played one show at the Vex that it's actually on YouTube. and It was a good show, but it freaked us out because security guys had guns. Security was wearing yeah. guns, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we did another show with, um, social distortion and, uh, man, I wish I could remember. I, I've seen the poster on the internet. I wish I could remember all the other bands, but we just weren't having a really good time in LA and Richard, uh, Cole was our manager. He booked all these shows. He had booked one final show, but it was all the way up in San Francisco. And we're like, well, let's. Let's get in the truck. Let's go to San Francisco and see what's happening up there. Yeah, yeah. And we played at the Mabuhe uh, map, Mabuhe Gardens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. legendary. And um, we played with Napalm Beach. Wow, what a great band! And it just so happens that Jello Biafra had kind of heard of us, and he came down and was sitting in the audience at the map and um, liked us. And asked, how long are you guys going to be around? Because in about 25 days, the Dead Kennedys are playing upstairs at the On Broadway. And we'd love to have you guys on the bill. And four of us looked at each other and we're like, oh, we're kind of on the tour for life. We don't right. have anywhere to be. <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll uh, clear the schedule. Yeah. During that same instance there, that same conversation, there was a couple guys kind of standing in the peripheral that we got to know their names were Mike and Kiwi and Mike and Kiwi had a house at 135 Duncan. I still remember the address. <laughs> and they were like, if you guys need a place to stay, we'd love to have you. So suddenly we had a place to stay for about a month and we had this cool show to look forward to. What we didn't have was a lot of money. I had never eaten so many potatoes in my life, dude, man. Anything you could do with a potato. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> They're nice cheap. <laughs> we waited out the, the 25 days, and the show was with um, Personality Crisis from Canada. And um, I, I think Crucifix, but I'm not positive on that. 
and maybe Tales of Terror was on the bill. Oh, I, Tales I, of I, Terror, nice. Oh my god, dude! Hold, talk about having to like, holy shit, we're playing with Tales of Terror. Yeah. You gotta like, you really gotta be on tonight because those guys were insane. Holy fuck, man. Um, but yeah, so we actually kind of lived in San Francisco for about a month, played the show, had a great time. Uh, we were asked to be on because people saw us at that that on Broadway show. We were supposed to be on Rap Music for Rap People Volume Two, but um, uh, well, anyway, we decided to go home. <laughs> we had had enough of California and the tour for life. Let's go back to Milwaukee. And when we got back, we uh, pretty much quickly broke up. Uh, Brian decided he wanted to do other things, Brian, the guitar player. And so we split up for about six or eight months. And uh, I got a call from Keith one afternoon saying that he had gotten a call from Brian. And what are you guys doing? I think we made a mistake. Let's uh, let's get back together and 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 do this thing and that was at about the time that uh barry hensler called and said we're coming to town we want to play with you guys i want Corey to see you and, and that's things went from there nice. so that that was the first tour that really got us out there and yeah crazy stuff left and right tripping balls and and <laughs> on, yeah 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 somebody, somebody yeah. gave us a handful of what they said were four ways and said, be careful, but they gave each one of us a four way. And my best buddy who was with us being roadie Hubie took one and I gingerly peeled off one corner and ate it. And about a half an hour later, I wasn't high. And my buddy Hubie was calling me a pussy. Like, come on, dude, do the whole thing. What are you waiting for? <laughs> so I, I dropped the rest of it, man. And that worked out. <laughs> that worked so, out okay. In the end, it worked out okay. There was right. some crazy shit that went down in the interim, but yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's when I knew I was a long fucking way from home. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like that's to, to me, that's kind of one of the big moments for for a band that tours too, is you have that like epiphany of like, man, I am nowhere near where I am from right now. Like it's, it's like the being at sea feeling. Right. right. Uh, I, oh, go ahead. Uh, just being with my buddies though, you know, uh, yeah. our, our buddy Hubie and then the, the other three guys were, we were all brothers. And so I felt secure and comfortable and everything, but, like I said, holy cow, man, we are standing, uh, tripping balls, standing underneath the Golden Gate Bridge with helicopters flying overhead and stuff. We were like, yeah. we are a long way from home, guys. <laughs> <laughs> did you get it? Uh, I was, uh, did you ever hang out at, at Fort Point uh, where the Vertigo, uh, they, they just got shot, that iconic scene by the Golden Gate Bridge? I don't think so. No, I mean, we weren't there. No. Do you know Vertigo, the movie Vertigo? I know, I, I know Vertigo, but I, not sure of the place. So it's right at the uh, base of the Golden Gate Bridge on the SF side, on the Presidio side. You're and, probably pretty close. If, if you saw it, you'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those things that you don't realize. You'd be like, why does this look familiar? You're like, oh, yeah, part of Vertigo. Like, it's like, we, we did go up. We, we, so another small band, uh, another person that was at the, the Mabuhe show were the, um, 
the Naked Lady Rustlers, which I was a big fan of them. They had a track on that first Maximum Rock and Roll album. Right. And they said, we're playing up in Petaluma for a, yeah. a party. Why don't you come on up and jam with us? Right. So we didn't have anything to do while we were waiting for that Dead Kennedy show to happen. So we drove to Petaluma. And we passed by the house there uh, where they filmed the birds. So that's yes. a little connection there. Yep. Um, so we stopped there for a few minutes and checked that out. And then we, we continued on, followed the directions, and we ended up in this place. It was just a crossroads. There was a bar and there was a convenience store and then maybe like a, a junkyard there, an auto junkyard. Nothing else in the middle of this wide open field. And this is where this party was. And <laughs> we loaded our gear in and it turned out to be a college toga party. Wow. And the naked lady wrestlers had been totally pulling our fucking strings, man. They weren't going to show up. Right. <laughs> so, oh, man. So we're like, we're all the way up here. Let's, yeah. let's play. Yeah. So we set up and we played and there. There was like five guys in bed sheets with their plastic cups of beer with their mouths hanging open. <laughs> that first Decreutzen album, you know, like <laughs> they couldn't, they had never seen or heard anything like that before. They wouldn't give us any beer. Uh. I remember that like, Hey, can I get, can I get a glass of that beer? And I think they gave us each one plastic cup. And I was like, you guys are cut off. You know? Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, Louie Louie, it wasn't, right? No. <laughs> Get myself back in focus here. Well, and so I, I find that interesting, too, because, I mean, later on, I think, like, a, a more regular circuit kind of opened up, but it was still, like, a little more, for lack of a better term, Wild West. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it was. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, I talk often on this show about how different touring is now, back in, you know, it's like the, the, the reliance on payphones for instance, you know, or, or people being at their phone, which is a physical thing, like on a desk somewhere to be able to get information. You know, it's, it's I, had to sit, I had to sit at the, our phone and our band apartment was in the kitchen and I had to sit at the kitchen table with the phone and a calendar and a phone book and call, you know, look up numbers. Dave from MDC gave us a bunch of numbers very early on. And uh, I still have, that phone book full of all that information that he gave us. Nice. And that's kind of how we booked that first tour and subsequent tours after that was, and the more we got out and played, the more people would say, why don't you come to Cleveland? You know, why don't you come to Detroit? Well, have you been to New York city yet? CB's has these awesome Sunday afternoon matinees. You guys would fit in great. And that's how we got into CB's later on. We would, headline on friday or saturday nights but we started out by playing at one yeah. or two o'clock in the afternoon at cb's and they kept that going for a long time yes. too man <laughs> they kept that going for a long time uh okay so then so so talk to me a bit about october file uh how, how that came together because you, you know you you got a little more of a can you a band, a band identity yeah. can you see me all right or should i you look great you look great um there you go. You, it, you were looking a little goth, but not in a bad way, so I didn't say anything. The backlighting helps. <laughs> Bella Lugosi was not in fact dead. Don't worry. <laughs> um, you know, when we recorded the, the self-titled album, we had, 
I think there's 21, yeah, there's 21 songs on there. Yeah. And yeah. we probably had close to 30 songs. But I believe I was the one that suggested, let's just record everything up to this one point and we'll save the second batch of songs or the, these newer songs for a later recording or a second album or whatever. Yeah. So it was kind of a snapshot, that first record. But we had already been doing things like, some songs you can tell, like Imagine a Light was during the first album period, uh, Uncontrolled Passion, uh, and there's a couple others. But what you might not know is uh, Among the Ruins was already being played, which is kind of a slower, throbbing oh, song. Interesting, yeah, because that kind of uh, is a preview for sort of some of the stuff you get into uh, later on, too. Later on, yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's been so long was already kind of a staple, which is a very kind of mid-tempo, almost a rock song. It's got a breakdown in it. And um, and Man in the Trees was also one of those songs. Yeah, yeah. That we held over for the second record. So when it came time to do the second record, there was a few hangovers, but there was a lot of newer stuff, uh, like Melt, I think, was a newer song. Um, but Corey was like, dudes, we need a, it's been a couple years now. We, let's yeah, do another record. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> uh, gently prodding us. Let's do another record guys. Uh, and, um, so we, we did the same thing. We went to Detroit and recorded in the same studio with the same engineer and Corey was behind the board most of the time. And he was going to, the first album, it says produced by Corey. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was going to do the second album as well. And I think it, it still says produced by Corey Rusk on the back, even though at some point I, I remember this, I remember going, where's the, where's the echo button. I want to put <laughs> yeah, yeah. on my vocals. Yeah. And then, and the engineer showed me where it was, and I was playing with the fader, moving more and more delay on my vocals. And um, I vividly remember Corey kind of, well, <laughs> sounds like you guys got this under control. I got things to do. And he left. <laughs> he just uh, left. And kind of left us to our own devices, which may or may not have be a good thing or have been a good thing. I, I, I guess in the end it was a good thing because we felt a little freer to, I remember all of our arms reaching out to the board and, and moving faders and doing this things. Way, that way. Yeah. Yeah, you know? and, um, yeah. So it was, it was very experimental for us at that point, not only the songwriting and the songs themselves, but the way we recorded them and the way they were being mixed. We were, we were just trying stuff. We, I guess the only rule we had when it came to songwriting, cause we used to throw tons and tons of ideas out. Like the only, the only rule or law we had was to never write the same song twice. Let's always expand and try something different and let's really try. Let's not just take something and give it a go. Let's break it down and, and, really experiment with it and go for it and try all from different angles. And uh, 
so we really did that with October File and some of those songs. Any anything goes at that point. And I think that's that's is is certainly I feel like the beginning of the anything goes era of Detroitson and. Also, I mean, like, think of bands like Soundgarden and, you know, Melvins and stuff who, like, obviously heard some of what you're doing and kind of like, oh, that's cool. Let's try well, later, later on, years later, I I had heard of this band, Soundgarden. A friend had played the, what was the first seven inch called? Um, uh, uh, the, the one with Flower and all that. Um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, nothing to Say, the Nothing to Say seven inch. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, yeah. You're thinking, oh, the very first. Yeah, yeah, okay. Seven. And they, yeah. they had played it for me because they were like, this guy's vocal style. I think he's kind of doing something that you're doing. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of this. And I immediately fell in love, man. The guitar, the, the way that song kind of flowed and meandered, and it was heavy, but it was slow. Um, and I got wind that they were playing in Chicago at the Cabaret Metro. So I drove down to see them, and I – I pulled up, there's a little entranceway next door to the, the Cabaret Metro, and I pulled my car in there because there was a band loading out. They had a big van, and, and I immediately recognized Kim. He's hard to miss. He's you know? a, yeah, he's a pretty unique-looking dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I jumped out of my car, and I said, oh, man, I'm here to see you guys. Did you play yet? What time are you going on? And he looked at me, and Kim looked at me and said, dude, no, we, we just got done. We're loading out. Oh, fuck. I can't believe I came all the way down here. I missed you guys. But we became friends from that point forward. And I think it was, I think it was the bass player hero at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Uh, he looked at me and he's like, I know you, you, you're in a band, right? And I said, oh, I, yeah, I play in this little band called DeKreitzen. And Kim was like, holy shit. Yeah. You're the singer from DeKreitzen. We, me and Hero used to come and see you all the time here on like your Saturday afternoon matinees at the Metro and stuff. We love you guys. So immediately, friends. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like a bonded in blood kind of <laughs> kind of experience for sure. Yeah. I, well, and I think it's it's fascinating to uh, you know with that era. That would have been like what eighty six or something. It kind of it kind of felt like for amongst the more creatively adventurous bands that what the novelty of like play as fast as you can play as fast as you can like sort of was the, the guild was kind of coming up to Lily a little bit. Uh, yeah. You know, um, being on tour and playing with, Oh my God, it couldn't just be two bands or even one band opening. It was always the same four five, six <laughs> bands opening and they were all just playing at breakneck speed, whether they could or not. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. <laughs> and after a while, it was just like, man, there's, there are other ways to display brutality, motherfucker. You know, like there's other ways to do it, and we wanted to explore those ideas. Um, not that we wanted to be brutal, but we, you know, like I said, we wanted to try other things and not write the same song twice, and just, just try other things. Yeah, sure. I mean, and like, you know, Black Flag was doing it, you know, My yes. War and whatnot. Like, yeah. it, and that's yeah, a great record. It, which, yeah, it, absolutely, but maybe not exactly what people were wanting to hear from them at the time, but you know, it didn't matter. Right. Right. <laughs> well, we got tons of shit for October File, dude. Even Corey. 
he uh, he picked us up in the studio a few days later because uh, he went from being in the studio to just we stayed at his house at right. night. And so he would drive us to the studio in the morning and he, he went from, you know, sitting in there with us to just dropping us off and, and letting us work on what would soon become October file. Yeah. But uh, we brought a cassette tape home, some rough mixes one night. And by this point, uh, I believe, yeah, they had the Greystone going in Detroit, uh, the club that they ran. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And he took the cassette and pumped it through the giant speakers and turned it up really loud and and uh cool breeze came on and he looked at us he's like this isn't you guys what are you trying to do <laughs> no this is us man don't you like it and he sat back and was like i don't know if i like this or not <laughs> and and I think, uh, if I remember right, I think Big Black was playing that night or something. And I can't remember dude's name, but the bass player was standing there. And he was uh, uh, Dave Riley. Dave yes. Riley. Yes. And uh, Dave thought it was all right. Um, but Corey was like, yeah, I don't know. This is the new DeCreutzen, huh? I don't know. He was a little unsure. Um, Which is so funny because, I mean, I think the modern context, it doesn't. You know, I, I think it fits like very nicely, but then I think there's also been a blending of genres and sort of like yeah. less of a uh, instant snap judgment uh, yeah. towards a lot of things. And, and that wasn't the only record like that. Right? There's other records that people are like, what? What are they doing? Why are they doing yes. that? And and you know, transfer that to live gigs, <laughs> right? Which is well, much the last of the Mohicans are like, play something fast! Come on, you fuckers! I'm like, oh well, we have this here's among the ruins you know (laughs) it's heavy you know you can you can dance in a circle if you want to to among the ruins it's fine fine it works out fine for you (laughs) they didn't care what it was as long as it was fucking fast you know and i've got endless live tapes where in between songs you fucking suck you fuckers (laughs) play something from your first album you suck now and on and on and on with that after a while, you just, you know, ah, oh, fuck you, you know, and, and we kind of fucked with them back. Like, oh, you want something fast? Here's <laughs> right. a little song called Deep Space. You know, <laughs> right. Akin to Cool Breeze, you know. Yeah. And, and, Strap in. There we go. Strap <laughs> it on, baby. Get ready. <laughs> well, and then, so you're, you know, you're, you're working that record and you're going through and playing and playing these shows and dealing with that and that world at the time that he'd come out with century days like that. And that's so notable because I mean, that's the first, uh, Butch, uh, did that one, right? Butch Vig, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that is the first Butch Vig record. Yes. But there's like piano on there and like saxophone and, like, and you know, some trumpet and yeah, <laughs> well, that that's part of our, of our, Evolution. I guess, theory is, Let's let's explore other avenues. Let's try other things. Let's let's be different. Um, you know, let's not write the same song twice. What what can we do here? And actually, there there's a couple songs that I can think of that were kind of a catalyst for the the horns. One being um, uh, the Saints know your product. Oh like, yeah. Oh fuck yeah, yeah man. Yeah. So and and that's kind of where 
uh, that song meets Detroit's and, and Stomp would be oh, yeah. kind of a know your product kind of thing, you know. And, um, I I remember uh, Peter, the sax player. <laughs> I don't think he realized exact Peter Battlestory. I don't think he realized exactly what he was saying, but he was in there blowing his sax and trying out things and. At some point, he put his sax down. He's like, what's with all these fucking rock bands wanting to have saxophone on their goddamn albums anyways? And we all looked at each other like, dude, we love you. We want you on our record. And, like what you do. I mean, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, it was the 80s, and there was a lot of saxophone on a lot of records. To be clear. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> still, come on. <laughs> come on, dude. <laughs> uh, that's the one I think you got the, uh, the Halloween the the Halloween song on there? Yes. Yeah, we actually, we had done Halloween since our inception, pretty much. Um, we needed, we played at a high school once, and we needed to play two 45-minute sets. Oh, man. And, yeah. you know, That's a lot of songs. So long. <laughs> 21 songs in about 19 minutes. Now what are we going to do? Well, there's the first few records. All right. <laughs> we got half of one set left. <laughs> We did so, yeah. We did, um, God, fuck. we did a we did that. We did a Pink Floyd song that I, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but it just goes on forever. It's like the uh, same. Echoes, echoes, right? Yeah, we played that, and and the other thing was Brian was like really into horror movies. And he'd sit in his room and play guitar and sometimes play along with the soundtracks and the movie. And he learned kind of those chords or those notes for Halloween and he showed it to Keith. And so that was one of our things at that, at that high school where we had to play for so long. We played this long version of Halloween and every so often we'd pull that out and shake it around. So nice. it was always there. And, I can't remember why we decided to record it. I guess we just kind of wanted to like do this because we can. Yeah, and why not? No one told you not to, right? <laughs> yeah, it did, I, it's not on the record though. I think you have to get the CD version to. It's like an extra track or something. Oh yeah, that's a that's the version they have. So that's probably why I'm thinking of it. Um, and the C and the the cassette tape has one of my favorite Decroits and songs. It's not on the album, Dream Sky. I wish oh, yeah. that would have been on the album and. We would have left something else off. I'm not sure what, but and Corey Corey Rusk says the same thing. That's his favorite Decroitson song, and he's sorry that he didn't try to talk us into having that on the album. What was the uh, what, what was the mindset behind not putting it on? Just length? I, I yeah, it was so long, and it was kind of slow. The one before it's kind of long too, so maybe it was like literally you couldn't yeah. fit. Because vinyl has a certain amount of time period. Yes, and that that's exactly a factor. And it was, you know, you can only put so much music on a vinyl record. And and that was the format we were using at that point. I don't think yeah. the records had come out the first two on cassette yet. That was years down the road when they when it um when Corey said, Oh, finally we're gonna do cassettes, and then CDs came along. And we had to go in and remaster things for the CD, which we went into the mastering studio, all four of us, and laid around all day while this poor guy was like, who the fuck are these guys, man? <laughs> what is this? What are you doing? Yeah. 
And what is this music? Holy shit. But he did all three albums in like a day. And, and uh, yeah, anyway. Did you, uh, how was it working with Butch at that oh. point? Did you feel like he was a kindred spirit for what you're doing? Yes. It was, it was like a breath of fresh air. We, instead of going to Detroit and sleeping on Corey's floor, which was fine. We were all about sleeping on floors at that point, you know, sure. yeah. but we, we got to work with Butch. He would drive all the way in from Madison and we'd meet him in Waukesha on a studio there called Breezeway. And, uh, they gave us a really good deal. We, we would show up at about, eight or nine o'clock at night and work until three or four or sometimes later in the morning. Um, and it was great working with Butch cause he could just dial stuff up. He had ideas, try this, go there. Let me do this with the kick drum. Uh, you know, we're not getting a good sound where the kick, where the, where the drums are in the room. I know this is where the studio says their sound is, but I think we should move them over here. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he had all kinds of great ideas. So it was really cool to work with a seasoned studio veteran, also a, a, mu a fine musician himself, you know. Well, and all, yeah, it all seems like all the records he was doing around that yes. time, they all are very, you know, super interesting and, yeah. if not the best records in those, those bands' discography, certainly some of the more interesting sounding ones for sure. Absolutely. So did you think then, uh, so, and this, oh God, what is, that's gotta be, so that's late 80s, right? That's, uh, 89, is that right? 89, I think. Yeah, 88. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. So you also did, uh, you did that EP too, that has that great gone away ep yeah that great aerosmith cover <laughs> it's on there where it's like which we also took a lot of shit for which is hilarious because and i and i i mean 89 was not a time where it was cool to like aerosmith for sure <laughs> to be sure not really. but collectively as a band they were something that we all had listened to in high school sure and dude rocks toys in the attic like those, yeah. those early records are yeah. like just People don't even believe you, and then you put them on. You're like, "Wow, this is really good." It's like, "Yeah, man, I know." This is Aerosmith. I mean, that Rocks album is heavy. Man. Holy yeah. shit! You know, um, I I can't even really. I we toyed with a bunch of covers. Um, we toyed with "Something for Nothing" by Rush off Twenty One Twelve. Oh wow! Okay, we were all Rush fans. We did that in rehearsal, but I don't think we ever played it out. Uh, we. We played, and I think we played out uh, Simon and Garfunkel's "The Sound of Silence." I have <laughs> wow. actually have a cassette tape of that um, at, from rehearsal. That's it's on the lines of number three. It's got a super heavy, echoey guitar huh. playing those notes. Um, that was always cool, and I was always bummed that we never recorded that for real. I I always thought we did a good version. And this would really shock people. Somewhere I have a copy of this, too, at rehearsal. Um, we we used to play Different Light by the Bangles. That's awesome. I love that. That's great. Bangles are great. That's awesome. Uh, I, you know, in our in our tour van, because we were touring heavily yeah. through October File through the end, 
And so music just floated in and floated out of the truck constantly. People were giving us cassette tapes of their bands. Um, yeah. My, who had, uh, a friend of mine, actually, I had just met him, but he would turn into a friend, uh, Tim Stegall from Texas, gave me a cassette of Hazel Atkins. And I, from that point forward, I was a huge Hazel Atkins yeah, fan. Man, so yeah, man. There was tons of stuff. Every day there was something different and something to like or something to hate that was, was going through the <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So there were tons of things that were influencing us and let's try this and just for the fun of it, let's try that. And lots of things going on. Yeah. The people would be surprised. I think. Was there, what, what's something you can remember that's uh, like one of the nicest surprises of like, Oh, this is not going to be that great. And then you're like, Oh wow, this is awesome. Was there anything that like stick on your mind from those days? Uh, as far as a song? Yeah. Just as, just as like, People handing you their demo tape or whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, 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 oh. Um, uh, not to put you on the spot, but I always like hearing these when these stories sometimes. I know there's some somewhere, and I'm I'm drawing a complete freaking blank at the moment, dude. There were so many things that would come in and out of the truck. Um, oh. There was a band from Texas, and I think I still have that cassette somewhere called Three on a Hill that were just, I didn't really expect, I, I didn't like the name. Right. They were a three-piece, and I just thought it was kind of a bland name. And But when we popped in the cassette, like, holy shit, these guys are really good. Yeah. And uh, same thing with Napalm Beach, to, to go back to that Mabuhe garden show. Um who the fuck is Napalm Beach? And those fuckers threw down, man. That guitar player was amazing. You yeah. know? Total surprise, total shock, total surprise. Um, well, and around that time, too, you're playing shows with like Laughing Hyenas, Sonic Youth, uh, things along those lines, right? Like uh, yeah. That tour we did that we were calling the... Well, there was, a, there was like a Metallica tour that was called the Monsters of Rock or something. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Jokingly, you know, tongue in cheek, we're calling that that hyenas crates and sonic youth tour the the monsters of indie rock tour, you know, just amongst ourselves. Yeah. But that was one of the best times ever. That was to have that show and know what we were gonna do and know who we were playing with every night. It was gonna be in a medium to a large size venue in front of a lot of people. And you know, having the hyenas play first. Yeah, talk like, about sitting in the bar. <laughs> you have to be on your game, dude. Yeah, there's nobody phoning it in. <laughs> no. My uh, little side note: my my parents hadn't seen us in years, and and I think they had only seen us play once or twice. But that that Sonic Youth. Kreutzen Hyena show played at the Cabaret Metro in Chicago and I reserved a table and, and made my folks come like you got to yeah. see us in come the this one. Exactly. Yeah. Got a seat reserved for you in the balcony right in the center right next to the soundboard and they brought my sister and they they had those poor people had to sit through the laughing hyenas you know <laughs> and they were just, <laughs> what, what is this oh my god yeah, maybe and not their bag Anyway, no, yeah. no. <laughs> Not quite Creedence Clearwater Revival or, or the Moody Blues, two of my dad's faves. Um, 
but then we came on, you know, and, and they sat through that and, and I went up to their table afterwards and, and they were like, this is what you do. You do that every night. Like, right. how can you keep that up? Well, that's, I'm only 25 and, and that's <laughs> yeah. what we do. And at, at, at that age, it's actually relatively easy. It's, it's actually really easy when you're 25. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to, uh, you know, I didn't want to just talk about the, um, uh, the Aerosmith cover. I think I think Gone Away is actually probably one of the one of the more interesting uh, Decoyce songs. Dude, I was so proud of that when when we got that was oh, so that was the first time we worked at Smart Studios. So Butch was in his his hometown dig, so to speak, you know, where he was most comfortable. And um, I we got home from that weekend session, and I plugged that cassette into my Walkman and took a walk around the block. And I absolutely could not believe that that was us, that that was me singing like that. That was this band that, you know, had been a thing for eight or nine years at that point or whatever it was. And I was so proud of that song. It's really good, man. Well, it encompassed all the different elements of Decreutzen perfectly. The heaviness, uh, if you want to call it softer side a little bit in there, the intricate guitar layers and, and you know, the bass working differently, but working with the drums, but working against the guitar, everything was, it was all right there in that one song. And I had never, and still have never been as proud of a Kreutzen song as I was at that point with, with that song. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's a, it's a great one. And it's, it's, crazy that it's like on an ep right <laughs> it's like i mean the, the true heads know sure but like it's uh it, it's it's fascinating because i would say the same thing that's like the culmination of all the things that you guys did in its best form yeah uh i i think if i remember right we needed we needed a record Corey wanted a record so we kind of needed a record but we weren't ready to do an album yet. We were working on those songs that would turn into cement. Right. Um, but we weren't quite ready to throw down all the material yet. So he was like, well, how about a live record? And, and we thought, yeah, cool. That's, that's a great idea. And we do have, we had released seasons of wither on the atomic records compilation here in town, a version right. of it. And it's an inferior version. It's not. A, it's not near as good as the one that ended up on on the uh, Gone Away EP. But we thought we've got this one song that we really like, and and Gone Away kind of just fell out of the band at rehearsal. Like it happened so quick. It was written in a matter of one, maybe two rehearsals. It just, like I said, it fell out. And. Um, so we had this song and we had the Aerosmith song that we wanted to redo because we weren't exactly happy with the first version on the Atomic compilation. Uh, and then with Corey's idea of the live album, we thought, well, we've got something here. Let's let's do all these things and put it together and and that'll hold us over until we're ready to make another album. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then you know it ends up being like you know one of the more sought out releases <laughs> because of it, which is not probably like what the, the goal was at the time, but you know it's right. one of the before EPs are EPs and records are records, and I think that matters less now, but because it's all just one big thing. But I think at the right. time, like it was 
there was this assumption that an EP was somehow lesser uh, than an album for a while, which is incorrect, objectively. But <laughs> but it was a thing. It was a thing. Yeah. Uh, so then, and you okay? So when you're making uh, when you're making the next one, this this is like I call it the gold rush, right? Where that there's that brief window where like the freaks got let in, right? And it, and cement that's like October '91. Right, that, that that finally comes out. So so where where were you guys at as a band at that time, having basically operated throughout the entire eighties? And you know that there are these killer bands, some of which you've been on tour with, that are you know putting out some of their best work. But like then the world like changes. So what is that like to be like right at the epicenter of all that, but also have it you know ostensibly be like kind of the end of the line to a certain degree like does it, it was it you burnt out like what was what was the what was the headspace in the band well um you can kind of tell by the liner notes from cement that we were very unsure about what was going to happen next yeah there was a lot of things going on there was there was profile records out of new york was kind of chasing us around the people that put out run dmc albums and um, and then also uh, Michael Alago, who signed Metallica, was kind of courting us a little bit. He was he had read uh, something about October File way back when it came out. Oh wow! And from that point forward, every time we went to New York, he was there, and we'd go and have dinner with him, and he'd take us to the office and give us the latest Cure release and whatever else was coming out on on uh, the label, and. Um, so there were, you know, I mean, we were in uh, Mechanic Records, um, uh, John Sinclair, uh, Mechanic was a subsidiary of MCA. So there was a little bit of flirtation from a couple of different areas with major labels, which was kind of happening to all these other bands, our brother and sister bands, you know, and people were getting picked up. And even Corey said at one point, you know, I... I don't want to let you guys go to a major label, but it might be the, the next logical right. step. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that I can take you guys to the next level. If that's really what you guys want to do, I don't know if I can take you there. Yeah. So he was kind of okay with it. You know, like, uh, so we were kind of, we, we made a demo and we shopped it around and it got a little attention here, a little attention there, but nobody really bit. And um, so we made cement. We went back to work. We, we went back to Smart Studios and, and made cement. But there, you know, uh, without getting into certain members and who it was or anything, there was just, oh, it was a dark period. Um, we yeah. weren't quite getting along the way we used to. And earlier in the interview with you, I said that we were like brothers and everything. Well, that had kind of fallen apart a little bit. We weren't exactly brothers. We had other things going on in our lives, girlfriends. Um, we didn't have a band house anymore. We had, we had a house there where I lived and where Brian lived, but Keith and Eric weren't there. Um, and we rehearsed there. Um, so the, the brotherhood thing kind of was falling apart already. And, and uh, you know, Keith was doing other things with other bands like Wreck and, um, 
and Keith and I were both in Boyder car at that point. And um, so there was other things going on and I can't say what, you know, other members thought, but at one point somebody said, I'm quitting and I'm moving on. The quote was I'm bigger and better things. I've got bigger and better things to do. Yeah. And uh, that was it. Yeah. I, I mean, we did put out cement and we did tour yeah. and we did go to Europe on it or no, we didn't. We were getting ready to go to Europe when the, when the hammer fell and, and exploded. Yeah. Uh, and Corey was a little miffed because we spent a lot of money on, on making that record. There's, I mean, the guitar layers on that record. It's, it's very like, layered. Yeah. Oh my God. It's it, if you, you know, put on one of the first Cocteau Twins records and then put on cement and you'll see very similar things going on with the layered guitars and sure. uh, uh, a lot of work went into that record, both via the band and, and both Butch mixing. I, I've still got the cassettes. He would mix everything, send us a cassette and we'd all critique it call him back and then a week later another cassette would arrive and we'd listen and critique it and send him our notes and then another cassette would arrive and finally we agreed we had to stop and and we got to put this record out yeah at some at some point you have to right i and, mean like <laughs> and there was tons of money Corey spent on ads uh, ad in rolling stone an mm. ad in cream or not cream uh spin magazine and uh yeah, tons of promotional things, um, uh, and and all of a sudden we broke up, and Corey's like, "What the fuck? Are you kidding me?" Yeah, I'm not happy about this, guys. <laughs> and we were just like, "Ah, I, we we can't go on anymore." You know, this is we've we've taken it as far as we can, and and um, yeah, one guy left already. What what else can we do? Yeah, that's it's a long time to to spend on something, but then also when you think culturally, what else was happening like late ninety one too? Yeah, that must have been uh, it must have been kind of bittersweet, I would imagine. You know? Yeah, it it was. Um, it was you know it was also very freeing. Yeah. Um, Keith and Eric and I started a band called Chainfall. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, like that same feeling that I had had with the Gone Away song mm -hmm. returned with Chainfall. Like suddenly I didn't have to worry about the last of the Mohicans telling me to play something fucking fast, you know? <laughs> right. We, yeah. We were free of all that fucking shit. Like we can do what we want. There's no preconnotations to what's going to happen tonight. Or are you going to play that first album or are you going to play that fucking cool breeze song or whatever it was, you know, <laughs> right. oh, we're free, we can create, we can do what we want. And yeah, that yeah. was a really great period there. That was a wonderful year of songwriting. And, uh, the, we did two demos. Um, there's a four song demo that we did with, uh, that same cat, Bill Stace and his walls have ears studio that, um, it's really great. It's one of my favorite things that I've ever done. Um, but yeah. When when did uh and when did Fuckface come together? Degreitson was still a band, I think, and there was a band in town called FI. 
and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of split yeah. into two different bands there was there was the one band that went to europe and made a bunch of records and then there was the original fi that was richard Fernecki. and uh so when the that second fi band started to do stuff Fernecki, instead of continuing on with fi formed this thing called vocal cash and for their first record he reached out to other fellow bands and musicians and said just record something and send it to me and we'll use it as a backing track for vocal cash i'll play over it or i'll use it somehow so he reached out to uh i think showinsky dave showinsky at earwaves records he was the owner and dave tapped me and Dwayne flowers who plays in dead finger with me and a couple other people uh chris jern from chicago who's a wonderful guitar player and dave rake a monster guitar player uh god rest his soul and um we set up a boom box in a rehearsal spot and just went nuts for a couple hours and recorded it and dropped the cassette in the mail to Pernecki and it ended up on the on the first vocal cash album but okay. that that little the four or five of us we had such a good time together and we were already in that first like four or five hours kind of in our rough jams. We have songs were forming already. Yeah. 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 Like you had a storm. go through. Yes. <laughs> so we, we decided to get back together and do more. And it was very loose. It was more of a jam band, dare I say, right. but heavy and weird yeah. fucked up. And um, Dave, we were listening to one of our rehearsal tapes in the store and Dave turned to me and said, we're going to call this fuck face. And I'm like, recipe for commercial success. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, you had I, Savage Republic way earlier on. And when it first came to my attention, I was like, Oh, it's kind of like a Savage Republic kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, at the time I had a limited palette to describe. No, that I, thing, like, I think that. you're right on. Yeah. And and, the, and like the fact that for a while, any any if a band had a second percussion, it's like oh, it's like Savage Republic. <laughs> <laughs> but but in this case, it actually does. You know, it does. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> so that's how we started. Yeah, awesome. And so and then like there's a sort of there's a few sort of iterations of it. Right, and they kind of con continued on. Was was the idea of it being like that's going to be a serious enterprise, or was the more just like, hey, we're doing cool stuff here. Let's just keep doing cool stuff. Um, you know, after jamming a bunch, um, somebody said we we're putting all this time into this, and we've got these pieces now. They weren't exactly songs, but they were pieces. You know that we yeah. would play. Like, let's do that piece that we call Disneyland or let's do that piece called Tex yeah. and uh, somebody said we should be playing some shows this would blow people's minds and uh, so we started doing shows and songs had to start and end so over the course of a year or two ideally yes endings <laughs> and middles and endings started to form and we started to kind of cue off of the vocals like oh he's gonna do this and so we're gonna change right here and so songs started to form and eventually um well i was playing drums 
and eventually I moved to second guitar because we we had Eric Tunison on drums. We added this cat Jed Chrysler on drums. We added Paul New from the Krusties on drums, and we had Dwayne Flowers, and eventually even Dan Duchesne from Rushmore would would come in and sit on drums. And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I doing here? I don't need to, like, <laughs> how many drums do you need? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I moved the second guitar and was just more right. or less rhythm. And, and Dave showed me some stuff. He was a very good guitar teacher, taught me a lot of things. Um, but yeah, that's that's fuckface. And then, you know, like I said, as the songs kind of developed and formed, we decided to go into the studio and record. And there's your fuckface album. Actually, we recorded like two seven inches first. And they, those were a little bit more loose, and it wasn't wouldn't be until we did the album that things were a little more concise and compact. Yeah, yeah, and you know, kids, if you're gonna go search for the band, be sure to put band in the search. Otherwise, you're gonna get something entirely different. Yes. Uh, but but there's the uh, the one with the smiley face that uh, that Dan put out on uh, Latest Flame. Uh, it's the full album, yeah. Full album, yeah, yeah. Which has the there's like um, it's like it has like it has like wave of mutilation. Yes, like it's got like yeah, amongst many other things. Like it's an interesting record. But like, uh... <laughs> well, I think everything we ever recorded, like I think there's a Frank Zappa song on there that we did for yeah. a Zappa tribute, and I think the seven inches are on there, and then there's even a rehearsal on there too. I believe there's a song called. Um, the desert song that we never recorded in the studio, but we had a pretty good rehearsal tape of it. And that we put that on there just to more or less document everything that we had ever done. Every song that we had ever played. There's a question from the comments uh, asking if there's any fuckface live or rehearsal tapes from the Keith era. There is a fantastic, fantastic live performance see when keith joined we still did some of those fuck face songs but immediately when keith joined he and i set into writing all new stuff yeah and we together he and i wrote probably seven songs and i've never been so proud before of being a i guess it was my first four way four it's my first entry into songwriting but yeah, there's a live tape. I have a copy, and I've I've given out copies of it. it it's floating around, but there's some great stuff on there. I he bet. Some great ideas, and he worked with me and let me just kind of develop things and find my way around the guitar neck. Um, really proud of that stuff. Um, but un unfortunately, we never recorded it properly. Recorded it properly in the studio. But there, there is a we we open for the violent films. Nice. Please welcome <laughs> F Face. That's how we were introduced. <laughs> well, there's that band from Australia who are wonderful, Tropical Fuckstorm. But yeah, like I see, I always see them build this Tropical F Storm, and it's like, wow, are we in the 1920s? Really? You can't, you can't just say the word. Okay. <laughs> like, it's like, were you here? You get the punk rock club? You can't say it. What are they gonna do? Wash your mouth out with soap? Anyway. <laughs> Thank God it's 2022 and we can say fuck face. Yeah, finally, at last we can. Yeah. Everything else is terrible, but you can say that and it's okay. Uh, so the, oh, oh um, th there was the lean into it, right? That um, the, the, 
the thing with Napalm Death and uh, yes. Season Blood of Risk. And Mike yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that that's like um, 2004, 2005, somewhere around there, like a little bit later on. I, how is that? Like seeing like a tribute album of like your band. Like how does that Blue feel? Blew my mind, dude. Blew my yeah. mind, you know. I especially, I mean, I, I appreciated every one of those bands taking time to learn and record and do their own versions of our songs. But having some of those very established people like Voivod and Napalm Death and Mike Watt really uh, for the first time, see, I guess when Dekreutzen broke up, for me personally, it was like I had wasted a bunch of years of my life. Like we got mm-hmm. to a certain point and we didn't go the last mile. You know, we, yeah. we just kind of gave up. We broke up. We fucked up, whatever it was. And in my mind, I felt like I had just wasted 10, 15 years, like, right, because I wanted to be in a successful band. Yeah, you can't can't put all that credit in the bank. You know, it's not legal tender. (laughs) But when the tribute came out and all those bands from, you know, there are bands from Europe on there, uh, and uh, it, it made me take pause and think that, well, okay, maybe it wasn't all for naught, you know, I mean, here we touch some folks, you know, and fire, you know, some established bands that are saying, no, you guys were cool. We liked what you were doing. So I, I was very proud of that. It was a good moment. And it also made me feel better about everything. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, it's gotta, it's gotta be crazy, but you know, like obviously very flattering, but Yes, yeah. and you got a nuts to hear people like interpreting like a song after song after song, and it's pretty good. I mean, like, yeah, sometimes you hear some of those and you're like, all oh, right, <laughs> but I felt that one was pretty good. <laughs> Season to Risk did a great job. Yeah, you know, the, the Voivod cover is almost verbatim Piggy on guitar, dude. Like, wow, it's hard to be mad oh, at, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, walk up to the the, the lead up to you guys uh, doing the, the reunion stuff, it was there was a correct me if I'm wrong. There's a, a benefit that happened first, right? The first thing was the benefit. There was a benefit for Atomic Records. They were going to close up, and um, Keith suggested that we get together and do a few songs. But Brian wasn't around anymore. He was in living in Texas, I believe. Or maybe he was in the Virgin Islands still. He, he moves around a lot. And uh, Eric was in Amsterdam at that point with his own restaurant. So quite Keith a commute. Was, pardon? <laughs> I said quite a commute. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Getting to and from rehearsals is takes some time. Uh, but so, uh, uh, yeah. We got some guys together, Damien Stringes and a couple other folks. And Jay Tiller is a Jay Tiller. And we did um, a couple of songs, um, Seasons of Wither, did a Wire song, and a couple of other covers that Dekreutzen had done. And yeah, I guess that was kind of a catalyst because it was a lot of fun. And 
you could kind of see it in people's eyes like oh man check it out it's almost decreasing like wow cool yeah and then again a couple years later for the lest we forget the first one uh actually i think there was something before that there was there was damien stringe's wife betty had been tapped by Alverno College to do a Patty Smith night. Oh, cool. Awesome. And she asked, she called up Keith and asked if there was any way that she could get DeKreutzen to reform and play at her Patty Smith concert. Nice. And of course, that was kind of impossible. Yeah. But uh, we had worked with Tiller, and Tiller had actually sat in, very few people know this, uh, we, we had a gig in Minneapolis, DeKreutzen did. And Eric couldn't make the gig. He had double booked himself with a job that he really needed. And uh, Tiller sat in on drums. We drove up to 7th Street Entry. And I think there's a bootleg of that. Yeah, I mean, you could do work. Playing. Um, so anyway, Tiller had been in the band. So it wasn't a far stretch. Like, let's let's ask Jay if he'll play guitar. Because he was kind of like the fifth Kreutzen, so to speak. Yeah. And... Uh, um, and Keith said, you know, I think my friend Dan Hankey, who's a huge fan, would love to play drums. Who's a so great fucking did, drummer, too. Really yes, cool. absolutely. So we did the we did the Patty Smith. We learned three or four Patty Smith songs and did the thing. And again, it was a lot of fun. And then a year or something later, the phone rang again. And it was the guys from Lest We Forget asking, what will it take to get DeKreutzen to play a couple songs at this thing? Yeah. Because uh, Lest We Forget was originally for a benefit for the Liver Foundation. And uh, we had a lot of close personal friends that have died of, of liver failure and other things over the years. So we decided it was a good thing. And Eric was into it. Eric's like, I'll fly in from Amsterdam. We'll get a week's rehearsal or two weeks, whatever. And let's, let's do this. This will be fun. This is a good cause. Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, but Brian didn't want to. And I think at that point he was living in Texas, but he didn't want to do it. And so we asked if we could have Tiller play guitar. And he said, sure, man, that, that'd be great. Why don't you guys go and have fun, learn a few songs, go and do it. So we did that. And, crowd went AP for us and uh, a lot of stuff showed up on the internet and that's when uh, Voivod called and said oh we see DeKreutzen is doing shows again we are curating Roadburn this year what will it take to get DeKreutzen to come over and play Roadburn in the Netherlands with us we couldn't make it that year but we did it the following year in 2012 with Tiller and and with, with Eric and that's that's where the the reunion shows so we had so much fun doing the road burn thing that we came home and played a couple more shows here at home and those were so much fun that i think it was a year later or two years later where we did the the mini tour we did um minneapolis madison milwaukee and chicago and you had a like we are hex played on yes those, i think were amazing yeah. uh just just played some shows with service by the way Yes. Oh, right. yes. Uh, and uh, like you've had a high fly, I think North, uh, Northless, I think maybe. I'm, I'm trying to remember. But anyway, yeah, yeah. The point of fact is like I, I, you took bands that you liked that weren't necessarily 
not there could be, but decorious and sound alike bands or bands that just were interesting or, and that you guys liked that were working bands that were interesting, really yeah. cool. Yeah, and that's I think more bands should do well, that <laughs> when they, they have were, the ability to do that. <laughs> they were, um, that kind of came into play when, when we got the Whammy Award. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, yeah. we, we always like to do this to the establishment, you know, and, and back in the day, the Whammy Board had voted us best heavy metal band, like right <laughs> after, right after Gone Away and before Cement, I believe. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, do they How have their fingers on the pulse, huh? <laughs> you know, and they wanted us to play. Right. So we, we came out at the Whammy Fest and played uh, Deep Space with John Cruth on mandolin. Here's your fucking heavy metal, man. Y'all like real metal? Here we go. <laughs> this is this is real metal. Great. But, you know, a couple years later, the Whammy board said that we'd like to induct you into the Hall of Fame. And uh, one more time, I kind of wanted to go like that to the establishment. So being up there in front of a microphone in front of all the Milwaukee musicians, I was... I picked out some Wisconsin bands that I liked, like Northless mm -hmm. and um, Zola Jesus was is from Madison originally. And um, I forget, I mentioned a couple others and I was like, check out these bands because they're doing it yeah. their way, which I always considered Detroit's and always did things the way we wanted to, how we wanted to, and when we wanted to. Right. So, uh, you know, I, one more time, check out these bands because they're the shit. They're for real, and they're doing their things their way. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, and that's uh, you know respect because that's a thing that I don't know. I, I think sometimes people forget about the ability to have a platform to do that kind of thing. So I thought that was super cool. Uh, and then. Um, yeah, so you, so you got all that stuff. You got the bash. You did. There's the the split with Melvin's, <laughs> right? That 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 was cool. Where yeah, that whole yeah. Thing that they did that was that was neat. The it was, great. was great. There, there's a picture of us playing at that in Minneapolis, and um, if you look just past Keith, there's uh, Mark Arm is standing there, and Buzz from Melvin's is standing there, and um, Brandon from from um, hyenas. laughing hyenas and negative approach is standing there and a bunch of other people and they're watching us. And it's just like, wow. Wow. You know, like, yeah, awesome. again, like I didn't, I guess I didn't waste time. You know, <laughs> right. Exactly. Cause it's, you're, you're, kind of forced, you're forced to sort of revisit that mindset of like, Oh wait, actually maybe not. All right. Which is kind of cool. I mean, yeah. Well, and that that leads naturally into the crosses, which I think is is super interesting as well. And um, you know, the nice thing, as I mentioned, you know, when I had Keith on too, doing the Detroit's and reunion stuff is there's a whole generation that never got to hear these songs live, that like like the records, but they, you know, broke up before they were born. You know, interesting little story. I the crosses went out to Seattle. A while back and uh i was sitting selling crosses t-shirts yeah and a family 
came up to the to the merch table. There was a little kid and mm. the mom and the dad. And the mom and the dad were like, we used to come see you back in the day. Awesome. And we brought our son because he's a huge fan. And he was like 11 years old or something. And he looked up at me and held out the first Decreutzen album because he wanted an autograph. And he's like, thank you so much, mister, for playing this music. I never thought I'd get to hear this music live. And you guys were so awesome. And Wow. Yeah, that's wow. the whole family was there. And then, and then they each bought a T-shirt, you know. Yeah. Just fucking that's crazy. crazy man. That that's put that in your bingo card, right? I mean, like, <laughs> that's pretty wild. I, and you know, I think that's cool. So, and then you've been so you, that so that's been happening. And then, like again, to take it all back around, then you have you you're not sitting in your laurels. You have Dead Finger doing stuff, and you're making new music, being creative, which. Honestly, in in the era of COVID, which we still are in, by the way, we're still Absolutely in the era. We are. <laughs> People like to think it's over with, and hell no, man, we're in the middle of a pandemic yet. The only thing, the only thing that's over is like the government apparently caring about it. I mean, like, right. it's, okay, it's just live, laugh, love is the new motto from the CDC. Great. Uh, we were, Dead Finger was a little concerned last week when we had our record release party because we did yeah. it at at um, the Circle A, which. I'm sure you're familiar intimate. with. Very intimate. Very intimate. <laughs> Very small. I mean, you get 20 people in there. And of a venue, yeah. They're up on each other, you know. Yeah, yeah. So Dwayne and I put out a little blurb first saying, you know, as COVID cases rise, you might not recognize Dwayne and I on Saturday if you come to the show because we'll be wearing masks. Yeah. And if you could... We'd like you to wear a mask, you know, and if you're not feeling well, stay home and maybe consider getting a test. But everybody that showed up wore a mask. I was, there was a lot, I think there was 32 people paid in and out by the end of the night, which is really good for circle a, that's so, so in a pandemic. <laughs> you know, we, we did all right. And uh, but for non Milwaukee people, Circle A is basically the size of a living room. It's a very small venue. It's very small. Yeah. Yep. It's it's cool when you can see hands there, but yeah. it's a whole new thing when it's COVID era. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It, but I was I was pleased to see that that people were taking it seriously still, and yeah. uh, it depends on where you go. And I'll say that from personal yeah. recent experience, where it's like, yeah. oh, it just. You didn't have it down here? Okay. Oh yeah, we don't have that here. What? <laughs> okay. What are you talking about? Like, don't, don't, you know, don't feel bad when I keep my distance. <laughs> no, yeah, it's nothing personal. Yeah, I'm gonna be ten feet away from fucking you, and it's okay. <laughs> but okay, so then you got. Oh, and I, I guess I should mention how people can get the Dead Finger record, right? I mean, are you? Um, I, I know that for local folks, you can get it uh, at. at Oh my goodness! <laughs> you can get it. Oh, <laughs> my window's open here. I'm getting some fresh air and at a, a, a Rushmore, I think. Right, you, you can get the, get the I, right now. I, I have it available exclusively at Rushmore just because mm -hmm. they're such good friends. And during that whole during during the pandemic, which we are still in, uh, during <laughs> the lockdowns, they shut down downstairs. But I live right above the record store, and they welcomed me every day. They were in there just restocking, cleaning. They were shut down for six or seven months. And, you know, they were they were in there ordering more.
store stuff, restocking, cleaning the store, going through the basement, bringing stuff out, pricing it and setting it out. And they let me hang out. They let me help. They let me work. Um, and so I just, you know, again, it's like the brother thing. I feel like they're my brothers. And um, yeah. And yeah. So uh, we're going to sell it there for a little bit. Eventually I'll get it around to the other stores, but. I just kind of wanted to tip my hat to them and yeah. let them have it for a while. But otherwise, it's available uh, far and wide on the big cartel. Right. And you've got it. And it's it's cool record. Like you mentioned, there's like the, uh, um, you know, there's Dead Finger Originals. But there's also like a Misfits cover, Scott Walker, Patti Smith, David Bowie. It's cool. It's cool record. Thank you. I'm but proud of you. It may not be what people expect necessarily, but like, I think it's very interesting. And cool. no, I, I think people will be surprised. Uh, another reason I kind of wanted to do that was I've been told many times that I am not a singer and I cannot sing. You just scream, <laughs> dude. You scream and yell. So, okay. <laughs> drop the needle on the dead finger record and tell me again that I can't sing. All right. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, it's cool. I mean, it's like kind of swampy. You know, it's a it's a neat record. Like it's it's their. Uh, Thank you. I, I think I think there's a lot to love there. And I, um, so what is it? It's, um, a dead finger big cartel. dot com. Is that, is that yes, okay. exactly. Deadfinger Awesome. And you, got can, you can find all that on our Facebook page or on our Bandcamp page, and you can also see the video for. Uh, our first single, Ghosts. Ghosts, yeah, which is great. That's awesome. I, Thank I you. We got more of that coming, more in that vein. So, Dan, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for spending so much time with me and talking to me about all the music. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate your time and for putting me on. Uh, last thing, this is the only canned question I ever ask folks I have on, and you can choose to interpret it however you like. Okay. Why do you do what you do? Um because it's in my blood i've wanted to do it since i was a little kid it's the only thing that makes me feel good every time i do it i can do whatever in life but when i'm making music especially with friends i'm in the happiest place ever that's why i do it awesome dan thank you so much sir thank Appreciate you sir Take care. You too. I'll see you around. All right. Sounds good, man. Um, there he goes. Mr. Dan Kabinsky. What a cool guy. I think uh, after all that talking about it, the only possible song that we could uh, play out on has to be Gone Away, right? <laughs> but we'll play, we'll, play the, uh, we'll play Ghost right after that. So here's Gone Away first.
All right. Well, there you go. 
That was Dead Finger with Ghosts. There's a cool video for that. You can find that at deadfinger.bandcamp.com. Uh, the whole Dead Finger record. Also, uh, Big Cartel can you hear me as now? well. That's another place that you can uh, find Dead Finger stuff. There's, like, shirts. There's all kinds of stuff. Uh, so look, look around for that. Uh, before that, we had Gone Away. A little bit called the Kreutzen. Some young up-and-comers. <laughs> uh, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, thank you very much uh, for listening. Are we going? Feel free to share it around, uh, like, subscribe, etc. Uh, also, check out the... When I had Keith on, uh, which is episode 106, which is nuts. It's nuts. That was like five years ago. But anyway. Uh, yeah, but the name of this show is Coda Neutron's Protonic Reversal. And thank you very much for listening to it. This show airs Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific on Radio Nope, radionope.com. Say yes to Nope. Streaming on YouTube. And Twitch. This is my farewell All the archives always available for free. ProtonicReversal.com. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. Signing off. But if you like the show and want to get episodes sooner, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. Patreon.com slash ProtonicReversal. One dollar a month will achieve that very achievable goal. Uh, thanks, folks, for liking, subscribing, all that business. It's how people find the show. Uh, writing a review, if that's your deal. Only the five-star ones. <laughs> There's enough negative ones out there. Uh, yeah, so if you like the show or even just a single episode, feel free to share it around. Like, you know, send it to a friend. Help people, tell people find the show, and, you know, it's just a darn nice thing this to do. Microphone. Sound into Bunch of cool stuff coming up. Thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out now? there. Out on Take it easy. 128, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10.
like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. If there's no one there to receive It's the end of radio As we come to the close of our broadcast day See? <laughs> 